Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. As our climate changes, forests become an important role in fighting back against climate change, but they're becoming deforested. So how do we better manage our forests and the species that live inside them? When a forest is chopped down and trees are lost, what happens to the species that call it home? Are some displaced or do some survive better than others? Plus, what happens to trees planted in the city? And can we use community involvement to help stop deforestation? Now, one of the concepts in climate change that most people will be familiar with is the rising sea levels. Premise being that as the environment in the earth, the atmosphere heats up, the ice caps melt, and that raises the sea level across the world. But when you think about the implications of sea level rising, you often think about flooding, inundation. But that's not necessarily one of the major problems that you could face. Yes, of course, we'll need to worry about increased flooding events and large storms and erosion of entire regions and resources. But one of the other things it does is that inundation brings the sea closer and closer inland. And this is a big problem if you're vegetation or the species that live inside that vegetation. Because being exposed to the ocean, the highly saline and salty sea air and sea water, is a very different environment to one that some of the forests or canopies could cope with. This will have a huge impact on a wide variety of species that live on that boundary, that coastal edge. They go from being relatively normal, much like everywhere else, but to suddenly being a coastal forest. And that can have huge implications for the wildlife and the vegetation. One area in particular that has been investigated by the North Carolina State University has been looking at what climate change will mean for the forests along the coast in North Carolina. Now, in particular, they focused on the coastal forests on the Albemarle Pamilco Peninsula. And it's home to North America's second largest estuary. An estuary is where freshwater rivers meet the ocean. And a big forest around a freshwater river is a pretty cool place to be if you're a lot of trees and creatures that will live in those trees, like bird species, and all the surrounding other creatures in the ecosystem. But the problem is, is as sea levels rise, what they'll find is this particularly low-lying area with thousands of square miles of forest most of which are below 2 metres of elevation. That means if the sea level increases even by small amounts, it's going to start flooding into this low-lying forest. Now, this particular region that's being investigated has a very high biodiversity, comparable to the, say, Florida Everglades or the African Serengeti regions. Just alone in this particular study, the researchers identified 56 different bird species that live just there. And that's a pretty incredible thing when you think about it. They're only just looking at birds. They learn everything else that's living in this region. But the problem is as sea levels rise, when the sea and salty air and salt water gets into these forested regions, it will kill lots of those large standing trees because, well, they can't handle the salt. And that leaves behind in its wake what they call a ghost forest, a forest where all the tree's vegetation has died off, but you're left with these stumps, these bare snags. Now, that doesn't mean nothing happens in that forest anymore, because 
what you get replaced with, instead of having really tall, canopy-lush trees, you end up with more salt-tolerant shrubs and grasses. And that shifts all of the vegetation, instead of being canopy-level, much closer to the ground. But that means all of the types of creatures that would have lived in the forest canopy now no longer have a home. But creatures that live in the understory, that low level, will have more habitats and more food sources available to them. And this is a pretty dramatic shift if you think about it, but one that most people wouldn't have actually thought about. Now, to actually study and analyze this, the researchers took, now to actually analyze this, the researchers used LIDAR, uh, light detection and ranging, to take images of the coastal forests. And they basically took this over a long period of time, one from 2001 and one from 2014. And they used this two sets of LIDAR data to figure out bird vegetation correlations. Basically, looking to see what plant growth was doing, looking to see bird species populations and nests, and try to extrapolate how much habitat was lost or gained for a given species. A lot of this research was done by lead author Paul Talley, who led this article being published in Plus One. Now, the interesting part, as they found, was that these ghost forests are, for example, a good fit for birds like the bobwhite quail which actually has been doing pretty poorly across the rest of the region. So giving it a home is actually a good thing. Also, birds like the woodpecker that nests inside tree cavities, having a ghost forest with dying trees in it, perfect for a woodpecker. But for birds that liked closed canopy forests, like as the hooded warbler, lost all of their habitats. So basically, you end up with species displacement, where one species will displace another species because their habitat is gone. And this is something that we'll need to consider. Now, of course, if you compare it to the amount of habitation that could be lost to a wildfire, sea level rise seems like a small and incremental change. And it's true, that certainly is the case, but it actually does have a significant role in changing the landscape of the area. It will go from being a canopy-rich forest to one being more scrub and grass-like and more swamp-like, as you see in other estuaries. And all the species involved in this would either die off or have to find new homes. So when we talk about an extinction crisis, we also have to consider the way in which species are being pushed out of their long-established homes, and other species are moving in. So when we try and protect biodiversity, we need to understand the impacts that climate change will have not just on the species themselves, but also the habitats that may drive changes. This is some great work published in Plus One from North Carolina State University. species adapt to climate change, you'd think that a species would all behave the same. But new research published in the journal Nature Ecology and Evolution, led by a research team from Imperial College in London, have been looking at the way in which birds from the same species but in different population groups have responded to deforestation. And what they found is pretty amazing. Even amongst the same species group of birds, birds living in a different region responded differently to their forest habitat being destroyed. Basically, what they found is that, well, some bird species managed to thrive when the forest was destroyed and they could find a new way to adapt and survive, but other species were much, much less resilient. And analysing the differences between these species in the 2,000 kilometre area of the Atlantic Forest in Brazil, they found some pretty interesting results. Now, 
They looked at 378 species in over 211 different sites across a 2,000-kilometer stretch of forest. And they looked at how sensitive these different bird species were inside the population group. So birds from one species in one location and birds from one, the same species in a far different location. So they saw how they responded. Um, those near the edge of the forest and those closer in, which were they referred to as the core. For example, for 24 of the species analyzed, the researchers found that the populations near the edge, so those living right at the edge of the forest, required 50% forest cover to survive. So if the forest area was deforested to a certain amount, cheese trees chopped and chopped and chopped away, as long as 50% of the forest cover remained, those birds living near the edge were okay. But the same bird species, for 24 of the same bird species, so 24 different bird species, all saw the same result. And that is that if you found some near the core, that is right in the heart of the forest, they could survive on much less cover, all the way down to 20% forest cover. Or to put it another way, 80% forest deforestation. So chopping down 80% of the trees, those species, the same species, but just in a different population group, were much more able to survive, meaning they were much more resilient. And this is a pretty dramatic variation in sensitivity, as lead author Dr. Christina Banks-Lite from the Department of Life Sciences at Imperial College stated. This dramatic variation in sensitivity to habitat loss we documented should have very important implications for ecology and how we plan conservation efforts. For example, it's more difficult to determine the winners and losers from deforestation if even each species is sensitive to how close the study population is to the edge of its range. Where species ranges are small, there won't be so much of an issue, but if there's some species near the edge, it becomes a larger effect, which is certainly true. Now, why did the birds living near the edge die off faster or have harder time surviving in the changed conditions? Well, there's several reasons that could be causing this. One of the big things for most species and most population groups is how small or large their population is, because that gives it more or less genetic variability. These things are important if you want to try and adapt to survive. Researchers took a region-based look at this problem as well to see if there was any sort of macro trends they could find. And what they found in like the southwest region, the overall bird population was very sensitive to deforestation. But that's because most of the species were living near the edge of their viable range and the edge of the forest. And even though this region has suffered little deforestation, it's still enough to impact these populations. They're still dying off pretty strongly. So what they needed to suggest then for conservation is actually to build larger reserves than and build reforestation habitats for the bird species. Even though the forests aren't that heavily deforested, the bird species actually need the effort to help them survive. If you compare that to the northeast region, even though there's been huge amounts of deforestation there, because the birds found in that range near the core zone of their core of preferred habitat, they were very hardy and very easily able to survive. So for conservation, the research is focusing instead not on trying to replant the entire forest, but focus on particular species and specific actions that will help those species survive. And this is a good example of ways we have to think a bit more interestingly about conservation. And it's not just as simple as planting more trees or saving one species by providing more habitats. You have to look at a larger picture, whether or not that will actually improve the species' chance of survival. This is some great work out of the Imperial College London, published in the journal Nature, Ecology and Evolution.
Now, many cities are trying to green up their environment for several reasons. For example, having trees can help reduce the temperature and the warming impact of all that asphalt and roads. It can also help break up and act as a carbon store for the region, particularly if you have all the traffic on the streets from cars. Plus, they look nice. Now, all of these things are why a lot of cities, municipalities, are planting trees all over their region. And that's quite a good thing to green up the environment. But a recent set of research studied from Boston University, led by Ian Smith, has been investigating how exactly these trees differ from their rural counterparts, looking at the city mouse, country mouse dilemma, but applying it to trees. This research was done in conjunction with Victoria Dearborn and Lucy Hutra and published in the journal Plus One. Now, when you think about planting a tree in the forest, we have a good understanding of how rural forests work, and we know what the life cycle is like of trees and what their ecosystem impact is like. Now, that's well, all well and good, but when you put a tree in an urban environment, it has a very, very different behaviour. So the research team took specific size estimates of growth measures and mortality measurements for trees and studied how they fared under the trees planted as part of these municipal programs in Boston. Then they actually looked at a model to forecast short-term changes in the, the street trees above ground and what that meant for the carbon capture pool and compared it to planting a similar number of trees, say, out in a rural forested area. And what the researchers found are pretty interesting. That is that trees in the city live fast and die young. Basically, they grow at a rate with mean diameter growth rates nearly four times that than those found in rural areas. So basically, a tree growing in the heart of Boston will grow four times faster than that one in nearby rural Massachusetts. But despite this enhanced growth rate of urban trees, they actually have a much higher mortality loss and they die faster. Now, the problem with that is that you, when you add up this high growth rate, so getting bigger faster and this early death, you actually end up with a net loss compared to the ones out in the regions. That is, as a, from a carbon storage perspective, the tree isn't just able to capture as much and store as much carbon because it's not around for a long enough time. So when you try and plant a whole bunch of new trees in the city, the authors outline ways that you need to actually think about ways of maintaining them to help maximize the viability, not just planting a whole bunch of trees now and expecting them to sort themselves out. If you want to really use them as an effective climate mitigation tool, you really have to use forest management techniques, not ones that we can develop for forests out in the rural areas because they're very different. It has to be a whole new set of urban forest management techniques to try and help keep these trees healthy and alive as they grow super fast and deal with a whole bunch of new challenges that those in the rural forest don't have to deal with, like pollution or groundwater changes. So this is some great work out of Boston University to highlight a problem or a challenge coming up to a lot of these greeting initiatives, and that is to keep them sustainable for the long term.
Deforestation is a pretty significant topic, but it's not one to look at in isolation. It's not like one person or one large company is going out there chopping down all the forests. A lot of the time, it's much more nuanced than that, with the local communities who live or border onto the forest slowly chipping away at that, or largely chipping away at it, depending on the region. Often that's either to expand land for agriculture, or capture some of the wood and the resources, or maybe chop down a forest and replace it with a new forest of an entirely different type, like the case of the palm oil plantations in places like Indonesia and Malaysia, the Philippines. Now these are all things that you may want to think about when you think about deforestation. But in order to achieve good results in preventing deforestation, it has to make sense for the local community. It's no good if there's no advantage to local communities as well, because then any regulation efforts to stop them are always going to encounter difficulties. And that's something that led to the rise of community-managed forests, where it takes community buy-in and helps them take a role as custodians of the forested area. And Research from the University of Manchester has been looking at how effective this approach is in preventing deforestation, and also if it is actually contributing to the people's well-being as well. And they published the results in the journal Nature Sustainability. They analysed an incredibly large amount of more than 18,000 community forest initiatives across the country of Nepal. And they chose Nepal because it has a lot of forested area, but it also has many community forest management plans that have been being promoted for decades now. So over the past four decades, governments and international organisations have been trying to promote these community-based forest initiatives as a way to merge the concept of conserving nature with also helping the local community. And if you look at the amount of the world that is actually protected as part of these community managed forests, it's about 13% of the global total of world's forests. But most of the time, people have been evaluating in small-scale pilot trials whether or not they were effective from an environmental perspective. Now, what this research group found, led by Johan Oldkip, a doctor and researcher at the University of Manchester, has outlined that community forest management has achieved a clear win-win for people and the environment across the entire country. Nepal proves that with secure rights to land, local communities can conserve resources as well as preventing environmental degradation. And what they found is that there was a very large 37% relative reduction in deforestation, but it didn't come at a cost to people's well-being. In fact, they actually found a 4.3% reduction in relative terms in poverty in the region, which means that people's standards of living are actually improving. And pretty much more than 50% of the regions which had community forest management plans in place were likely to see both a reduction in deforestation and reduction in poverty. And that is the kind of win-win mutual situation that would mean to an obvious suggestion to implement it for governments. This is one that's good for not just the environment, but also the people. And it sets a good example of how a country can work towards achieving both their development goals, but also their sustainable goals and their environmental impact reductions. And these two things don't have to necessarily come at a cost to one another. Some great work out of University of Manchester published in Nature Sustainability about the, the community forest management programs in Nepal. This has been the Young Scientist of Australia's podcast, The Grange Point. From the death of forests leading to the dying out of one species being replaced by another, to the way that trees in the city live hard and die young, and ways to better manage and stop forestation by getting communities involved. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.